I welcome you all to uh, evangelizing and visitors follow-up uh, ministry day. Thank you so much for being part of today. And uh, I thank you, my people, my beautiful people, for the work that you do. The Lord whom you are laboring in his name is not unmindful of your labor of love, and he will certainly reward you abundantly in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Father, again, we thank you because we know you're already here. And we are so thankful because you're a gracious father. You're here and you're here to do us good. You know we are coming. Thank you for all that you have prepared for us. And even as we have asked, we know that we will not live here the same. We give you the praise and we thank you for answered prayers. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Our topic today is uh, God's goodness leads to the repentance. God's goodness leads to repentance. And our text is uh, Romans 2 verse 4. Romans 2 verse 4. It says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? What leads you to repentance? The goodness of God. And we see a very good example in the life of Zacchaeus. We've read so much about Zacchaeus in recent times. Remember the man that ran to the tree because he was very short so that he could see Jesus. But the moment Jesus says, Zacchaeus, get down because today I must be in your house. This man ran down. But what I want to bring out from that story is in verse 7, Luke 19, verse 7. He said, as Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus, many in the crowd complained. Look at this. Of all the people to have dinner with, he's going to eat in the house of a crook. They looked at him as a crook, a criminal. So Jesus didn't see people like us. He's identifying with this crook. They ridiculed him. But look at Zacchaeus' response in verse 8. He was amazed over his gracious visit to his home and joyously welcomed Jesus. And immediately something began to happen in his heart. The Bible said, Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord and said, Half of all that I own, I will give to the poor. And then he now called him Lord. He said, Lord... If I have cheated anyone, I promise to pay them back four times as much as I stole. So you can see the goodness of the Lord, not considering who this man is, whatever he may have done, he embraced him in love. And immediately, this man repented. There was a turnaround. There was a change of heart. For the Bible said in verse 10 that the Son of Man has come to seek out and to give life to those who are lost. That's the purpose for which Jesus came. And he's still in that business today. He sought us out 
he saved us. And he now commissioned us based on the scripture we just read. Anyone, regardless of your state, it doesn't matter what you may have done. Those of you here, or those who are listening online, or who may ever listen later in life, all Jesus came for is for you. So don't begin to look at yourself and say, I have gone beyond, you know, me quantancy. That is, this one, there's no more repair. It is such people as you are that is here for. We were once like that, but his grace and his mercy saved us. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5. Even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. When did he do that? We, even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, that was when he did that. He made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. The Bible said there, he gave us the very life of Christ himself. The same new life with which he quickened him. Not even the life that he had before, but the life after resurrection. That's the life we have. That's why we could say in that first John 4, 17, as he is, so are we in this life for those of us who have put our faith in him. He said, it is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you did not deserve that you are saved delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. And again, he said in verse 6, and he raised us up together with him. For those of you who we are at our women's meeting with our beloved you know, pastor, my, my beloved husband, remember you died with Christ and then you were buried with him. And then you resurrected with him to a new life, total new life. It's the life of Christ that we now have today. So we've been delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. So we are today seated together with him in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. Then verse 7 says, He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of what? His free grace, his unmerited favor in his kindness, and goodness of heart towards those of us who are in Christ Jesus. It is his goodness. So the new covenant is really rooted in the goodness of God. It's rooted in the goodness of God. God in his kindness and great mercies chose to forgive us of all our sins and embraced us as his lovely children. He made us his own. Just simply as we put our faith in his dearly beloved son's blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary, the sinless son of God, when you put your faith in that, automatically you're made a child of God. He said 
in the Old Testament that you say he, you know, he, Jeremiah quoted that in Jeremiah chapter 31, 33, 34. He said that he will make a new covenant. And then he said in that new covenant, he said, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Which means there was a time he was rem remembering it. You can see that if you read Exodus chapter 20 from verse 5, say up to the third and the fourth generation, God was remembering the sins of people. But because of what Jesus did, he now said, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Which no more means what? No more. Amen? So those people that have received Jesus Christ, you know, you experience the joy of forgiveness, the joy of salvation, it's, and you have the indwelling presence of the Spirit of Christ in you. The Bible said in Ephesians chapter 1, 13, it said, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, which means you must have to hear something like we heard earlier on today. In whom also, having believed, you were what? Sealed with the Holy vacuum packed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee that everything that belongs to Jesus is yours? And he's there to help you because sometimes you might miss it. To constantly remind you that you're still a child of God until Jesus now comes to take us home. So it is the presence of the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Christ in you that guarantees that you are a child of God. So for those of us who have made this choice of choosing Jesus, it's important that you reckon with the fact that you are a child of God and that you are seated together with him. So you must have to maintain the throne room attitude. May I have a three of my people here you know, to help me. I just want us to have a little picture of what Jesus Christ did for us. Please come with your chairs. You know, you see, in the Old Testament, you know, God, because he loved men, because he see that men were inherently sinners. It was the sin of Adam that made us sinners. So be God, in his mercy and goodness, Seeing men, constant, he made that provision whereby when somebody sins, you have to come with your animal to the priest. And then uh, when the, please come over here, uh, my beloved son, come over here. So Ugo, let's make you the, the sacrifice, the animal sacrifice. And my dear, please come over here. So, and you know, when that, that sacrifice comes to the, to the, to the place of sacrifice, the priest will now examine the, the animal to make sure it is spotless, sinless, uh, spotless, without any blemish. And the moment that is done, the priest will now give the, the, the this is a person that brought the, no, you brought the animal. Let's do it pro properly. So he brought, because he's the one that sinned, so he brought it to the, to the high priest, and then he will examine, and after the examination, if it's found the animal spotless, without any blemish, he will now give him the knife. No, he will now ask him, you lay your hands on the animal, come over here so that you can do it right, so they can see you. I don't want the puppy to block people. So you put your two hands, 
You put your two hands, and what, is that, what does that mean? Your sins is transferred to the animal. And then you, you, the animal's innocence and purity is now transferred to you. And then the prince will now give you a knife. You now kill the animal. <laughs> you kill the animal. Praise the Lord. You, have, you show that you are dead. Now you're killed. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> so the offerer will now go free and happy that he has, his sins have been forgiven. Praise the Lord. Don't go yet. Don't go yet. Don't go yet. So you can imagine what happens in the, in the, in the tabernacle. People are coming. People are going. People are coming. People are going. And God in his mercy said, no, I don't want my children to keep doing that. Let's do just one sacrifice. One sacrifice for sin forever did it for us. So let's look at Hebrew chapter 10. Hebrew chapter 10. It says in verse 1, in verse 11, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. It was just a temporary thing. And if you look at uh, Hebrew chapter 9 verse uh, 6, it says there that, you know, no, uh, once in a year, the high priest will now do one sacrifice for any sin that was omitted. Perhaps they omitted some things. That's the one that is done once a year. But God in his mercy said, no, I don't want them to keep doing this. Just one is enough. So, and verse 12 of that Hebrew chapter 10, he said, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat at the right hand of God. So let's see, this is God. No, no, no. Is that going to be your right hand? Which is going to be your right? Is that your right? Okay, so Jesus. So let's take you as Jesus. You come over here and see. Okay, we, you did the sacrifice. So you are the sacrifice. You are the lamb. You are the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. <laughs> Hallelujah. And then, because he put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he was bestowed the gift of righteousness, and then he is now in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. You come over here. Well, physically, this is not what it is. It's a spiritual thing. So you find out that you don't see him. You don't see yourself physically but God sees you in Christ. So you can live now. You can live now. So, we, so he's, in, he's inside him. He's in Christ. So you can live because he's in Christ. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. So you find out that if this is Jesus, then you are in him by virtue of the fact that you have put your faith in him. So in the sight of God, all God sees is Jesus. He sees you spotless. He sees you pure. He sees you holy. That's why the Bible said that we have been accepted in the beloved. 
we have been accepted in his beloved son. Praise the Lord. So it's important that we maintain that throne room attitude. Understand that you are seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion. And understand that, um, but, you know, even the Holy Spirit confirmed again that our sins and our lawless deeds will not be remembered again. You can read down there in that uh, Hebrew chapter 10, confirming again what had been written. So that is why we must go boldly when we are coming into the presence of God. Because when God looks at you, he's only seeing Jesus. And that's why in the book of John chapter 16 from verse 23, we ask whatever we ask in whose name? In the name of Jesus, because it is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. That I, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So we ask in the name of, which means we are saying, Father, in the name of Jesus. That is, Father, I come before you, not based on my own righteousness. Jesus is my righteousness. And that's why also in John 14, uh, 12 to 14, Jesus said, whatever you demand in my name, I, Jesus, will guarantee that it's done. That's your, 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 your demanding from the devil. You're not demanding from the Father, but you ask from the Father. So when you take authority in the name of Jesus, the devil is bound to respond. But the only thing is that when you don't know it, when you're not so sure, when he knows that you don't know, he will play in your ignorance. And you think it doesn't work. It works. The moment you demand in the name of Jesus, Jesus himself said, I will ensure that it is done. And the scripture cannot be broken. Amen? So, when you receive Jesus, you have received the mind of Christ. So, you have his thoughts and purposes. That's what the Bible said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. That's why, you know, the, the, he, he's in you, and you listen to the spirit in you, but make sure that that spirit is fed fat through the word of God so that you make sure that you really understand who you are. So Jesus is the best gift ever that the father gave to us. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave who? His only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not do what? Perish. But what do you have? Everlasting life. That's your lot. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Hallelujah. I remember sometimes when we, where we used to go for prayers, where you get there and say, you on the second row, your prayer is not good. Oh yeah, go out, go out, go out. Ushers, take, take that person out. And they will just run you out. I remember one brother that said when they ran him out, he went and he got corn and pear. And he was roasting the thing, just enjoying himself. And all of a sudden, they came and said, please, oh yeah, they say you should come back again. <laughs> he, said, he, he said, why didn't they leave him to enjoy his uh, meal? You know? But God said, come the way you are, because you can't help yourself. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Praise the Lord. Verse 18. He said, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, 
Why is he condemned already? Let's read it together. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It is not because he's committing adultery or stealing or cheating or killing people. The reason this person is condemned already is simply because he has not received God's gracious gift, the Son of God. That's the simple reason. That is the simple reason for which God is judging the world because Jesus already is, the, is already the sacrificial lamb. He has already died for the sins of the whole world, whether they know it or not. It's until you make it your own that it becomes your own. So, remember Abraham, all the lies he told because we're Abraham's children. He was living under grace. Did God comment on his lies? No. Instead, he, de he dealt with the king because that was still under grace. Is, that, is it that God is condoning sin? No, because he knew what was going to happen. So he was dealing with them based on his grace. Let's look at John 16, verse 7. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And what is he going to do? Verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of what? Of sin. And of righteousness and of judgment. Convict means to declare you guilty. A criminal. Then verse 9 began to expatiate. He said, of sin because of what? They do not believe in me. So you the believer, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? So it's not for you. It's not for you. That conviction of sin is for those who have not yet believed in the Son of God. And then, of righteousness, this is where we come in. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So when you now sin, the devil will come and tell you, see now, you call yourself a Christian, look at what you did. The Holy Spirit is there to encourage you, say, my dear, God still loves you. Can you imagine Ugo, Emmanuel, all of a sudden somebody comes and says, because of this thing that you do, you're no more Emmanuel's son. No, by virtue of the fact that Emmanuel gave back to him, he's Emmanuel's son, regardless of whatever he did. Praise the Lord. But, but the Holy Spirit is there because Jesus understood what is going to happen. And now said, the Holy Spirit will come, that helper will come, to convict you of righteousness, to constantly remind you that you are still in right standing with the Father. And then he said, um, um, of, uh, let's, you know, I, you know, if you remember, you know, Isaiah 54, I think it was verse, uh, verse 14, it says, in this righteousness, in the revelation of this right, this kind of right standing with the Father, this gift of righteousness, you shall be established. And he said, you shall be far from oppression and you shall not fear. In this understanding of the Father that you have received the gifts of righteousness, that is the only way you will be established as a child of God because the devil can convince you otherwise. The world can convince you otherwise because they will judge you based on what they are seeing about you. But you must understand that in the sight of God, you are righteous, you are pure, you are holy because God sees you as Christ. You have been accepted in the beloved. 
Amen? And that's why he said in, uh, in verse 17, he said, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise in judgment against you, because tongues will always rise up because of what, the way they see you performing, the way you're, because you don't have your act together, but you're still, you know, like when we read in that uh, you know, Hebrew chapter 10, so we are those who are being sanctified. We've been made holy. We've been made perfect in the sight of God. But that holiness has to be worked out. And as you keep on beholding us in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, who is Jesus Christ, that's through the word of God, you are being transformed into his very own image from one level of glory to another level of glory to another level of glory. What you don't know today, you know it tomorrow. What you don't know tomorrow, you know it next tomorrow. What you don't know next tomorrow, you know it the other day. I have not yet arrived, but at least I have left and I'm on my way. He's still you know, building me up. We are all being built up. Ephesians 2, if you look at the last two verses there, we are all still being built up. And it is the word of God that builds us up. So you don't have to give up on yourself. So whatever tongue rises in judgment against you, condemn it. That is your God-given right. Say, you shall condemn it. See, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Praise the Lord. And the Bible made us to understand in Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14 that Christ forgave, that God forgave us of all our sins because of what Jesus did. And he said that he has disarmed principalities and powers. That is about that verse 11. Verse 11 of that John you know, 16 says, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The devil has been judged and you might not fully understand it, as a born-again Christian, you grow in understanding of the fact that the devil has been disarmed. That I thank God for what my beloved husband has been preaching to us in recent times. For you to understand that the devil has been disarmed. God, Jesus, by what he did, disarmed him of whatever he, it is that he can use to accuse us. But if you don't know this, you will fall for it and he will mess you up. But you must understand this truth. Praise the Lord. So understand that God is greater than your feelings or your conscience. First John chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Whenever our hearts condemn us, feel guilty and remind us of our failures, we know that God is much greater and more merciful than our conscience, and he knows everything there is to know about us. God already understands that the wrath of God is satisfied in Christ Jesus. Jesus paid fully. The penalty of all our sins. God understands that you are righteous because you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You might not fully have that revelation. So, whenever your conscience condemns you, you say God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. When your heart doesn't condemn you, according to verse 21, I mean, if a child you know, does everything that a parent wants right, if the parents are coming by, the child, hey, daddy, mommy, welcome. But if the child knows that he didn't do everything right, when he hears the full step of the parents, he will, be start, he will start stepping back. He will just take time to get in. So God understands everything. But he says in Hebrew chapter 4, verse 12, verse 16, he says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Where do you think you need it most? When you have messed up, when you blow it, that's when you need it most. But God said, come boldly at that time. Don't let the devil make you shrink back. 
and you say, he that is down needs fear no more. Then uh, from the front row, you go to the middle row, from there the back seat, and the devil will convince you that you don't fit in. Don't allow him. Come boldly. Because it's only by the blood of Jesus, by what Jesus did, that you will keep on keeping on. Amen? There is no other way to God other than Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, 11 and 12. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where he says, the throne that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in how many people? No one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's only Jesus. Even Jesus himself said so in John 14, 16. He declared there, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And of course, you have to have the spirit of Christ for you to become a child of God. In that, uh, you know, um, Romans 8 verse 9. If you do not have the spirit of Christ in you, you don't belong to him. Because God is a spirit and they that communicate or relate with him, they must have to do so in spirit and in truth. John 4.24. So you have to have the spirit of Christ for you to become a child of God. Praise the Lord. So you, everyone that is born again must have to first of all be sure that you are born again. Because I mean, when we are talking about evangelism, you can't give what you don't have. If you don't know that you are a child of God, if you are not assured in your heart that you are saved, you might not be bold enough to share it with anybody out there. 1 John chapter 5, 12 to 13 says, and the testimony is this. God has given us what? What did God give us? Eternal life. We already possess it. We are not going to, if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we already possess it. And this life is in his son, resulting in our spiritual completeness and eternal companionship with him. He who has a son by accepting him as Lord and Savior has the life that is eternal. He who does not have the son of God by personal faith does not have the life. So, you have eternal life, you are born again, you are a child of God, if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. That's the way you receive this eternal life, not eternal death. Eternal death came over when man sinned through Adam. So, all sin, the Bible said, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And said, the wages of sin is there, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those who have not yet made Jesus the Lord over their lives, what they have over them is eternal death. The process of death starts here, and then when they are done here, when this earthen tabernacle you know, you know, you know, is uh, decays, they will now continue forever and ever, eternal death with the devil. But what God offered us is eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. Eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus. John 17, verse 3. All right, so he now told us these things, verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, which represents all that Jesus Christ is, is, not was, is, and does, so that you will know with settled and absolute knowledge that you are already, that you already have eternal life. 
And then in, in uh, New King James Version, that verse 13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. It's so very important because you might not act well sometimes and the devil will begin to convince you that you are not really born again. You must have to know that you know that you know that you know that you are a child of God. It doesn't come by feelings. It comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that you have made that decision genuinely from your heart of heart. You must be tenacious about this. And that's why when you stand, you know, pushing back against sickness or poverty or whatever the enemy throws at you, you must have to stand your ground from a point of knowing. I don't forget the time that uh, the devil came against my beloved son on Yechuko. And uh, gave, us, gave my beloved husband a bad dream about him. And that dream came to reality. I remembered how he responded. He said, look, you remember what the, give me back my son. Remember what God, Jesus did for you? Say, who? He said, Jesus, how he defeated you on the cross of Calvary. And the thing did like, hmm, and just gave him back the son and left. And one time, uh, Kenechuku was sick. Onyechuku was sick. They were really nigh unto death. And my beloved husband said, bring them here. Bring them, get them to the living room. And I got them to the room. At that time, we were still new in the Lord. And this man was so tenacious, chewing the Bible like a drinking water. I said, bring them. I brought them. And he said, hey, Satan, in the name of Jesus, I come against you. I command you. Take your hands off my children right now in Jesus' name. Amen. They all slept off. Very early in the morning, because, you know, because of the barricading they were doing at the time in Nigeria, we couldn't just start rushing them to the hospital. So when it was day, we rushed them to the hospital and loot. They checked everything. I said, ah, nothing wrong with these children. And we took them home. That was it. You must be tenacious about what you have. That's why I said maintain the throne room attitude. Know who you are. Know where you're seated. You're seated in Christ in heavenly places. Amen. A divine exchange took place the day you said yes to Jesus. God gave you the place, you know, you know, you know there was a, an exchange. You took, Jesus took your place of sin and gave you his place of righteousness. You see that in that place we read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. So that's why if any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation. The devil comes and tells you, I know you and I remember what you did. He say, ah, I understand you, devil. The one that used to live in that house you're talking about, he died. He was buried. But this one you're seeing now is a brand new woman. So I don't know who you're talking about. That one is no longer in existence. You must understand you are a brand new man, a brand new woman, if you have put your faith in Christ Jesus. You've been rescued. You've been retrieved. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. That's where you are today. So understand that you have eternal life. Understand that you're born again. If you have genuinely met Jesus, the Lord over your life, it doesn't come by feelings. It comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It is the sin of Adam that actually made people sinners. It's not the individual sins that they are committing. But when you now put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are made brand new. But for those who have not yet received this gift of righteousness, you find out that their sin, even their individual sins, remain for them. 
So it's important that we have a revelation of this. And that's the only way, if you have received this gift of righteousness, that's the only way you will triumph in life over sin, over sickness, over poverty, over whatever. And how do you do that? Only believe. Only believe. Romans chapter 3. Romans 3 verse 25 says, For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. The life of the flesh is in the spirit. That's what the Bible told us in Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And because the blood of Jesus was shed, his life was given to us as we put our faith in him. So this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. 27, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on what? It is based on faith and faith only. So, we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. There is only one God and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Because it's only in Christ Jesus that you fulfill the law. Because Romans 10 forces for Christ is the end of the law. And because of him, God has transferred his perfect righteousness to all who believe. So it is all by faith. It's not by works of righteousness, but by his grace alone. It's all by faith that you receive it. So you note that you're made right in the sight of God, not in your own sight. If you look at uh, Romans uh, chapter 5, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, it is in God's sight. That's why you must know this, that as far as God is concerned, he sees you as pure, holy, righteous. So don't look at yourself. Don't judge yourself based on yourself. That's why the Bible says, looking away from all that would distract unto Jesus. And then verse 2 says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So we are made right with God. In the, we are made right with God and our righteousness, it is in his sight. And it is because of what Jesus did that we have peace with God. But then we receive this peace and this righteousness by believing it, by putting our faith in what Jesus did. Paul declared in Romans 1, 16 to 17, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God saved at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentiles. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight, again, in his sight. This is accomplished from what? From start to finish. By what? By faith, nothing else. From start to finish, my faith. There's no other way. Colossians chapter 1, 19 to 23. 
For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. As far as God is concerned, because he sees you in Christ, you are without a single fault. But then verse 23 says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firm in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you had the good news. So why the emphasis on faith? Simply because a lot of times you might not feel like it. Your acts might not be all together. Again, we have an enemy who is roaming about. He wants to accuse you. He wants to bring all your faults before you. But constantly remind yourself, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And besides, there is no other way. The only way to please God is my faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that's why you just take it by faith. Praise the Lord. So we must choose to follow God's way of being right. We must choose that way. Romans 3.21 says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right. See, I'm repeating this thing so that you know that you know that you know. So that when you stand out there to minister gospel to people, even if it's people that know you, you will know that you are the righteousness of God. So you'll be able to explain to them too. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who believes, whether Jew or Gentile, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned, yes, then verse 24 says, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. In his sight. Please note that. In his sight. Not in your sight. Not in John's sight. Not in Joseph's sight. Not in peace's sight. In his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. So how do I then receive him? Romans 10, 9 says, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Simple. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Faith is voice activated. If you believe it, then you have to say it. You're born again. Acts chapter 16, 31 is a very good example of uh, the, the jailer with Paul and Silas, when that, that miracle happened at that prison, the man said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And what did they tell him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. But you see, he hasn't had the gospel yet. And so in verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They now spoke the word of the Lord and then verse 33 said, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. They were baptized into Christ. They received Jesus Christ. And then the last verse of uh, verse 34 says, 
And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. There's this joy that comes when you give your life to Jesus. It happened to me and my beloved husband uh, in, on the 19th of September, 1985. You know, and then right there, at the, I went in there just to escort him. But I came out a brand new woman, both, both of us. And immediately we got into the vehicle, we just started singing, I have seen the light. It's like spontaneous song just came out from our, our mouth at the same time. Because I, I went there reluctantly. But what the visitation of the Lord upon my life there, God had mercy on me by the word of knowledge that was given through the man of God. I said, this God is so merciful. How did he even know what I was doing? And he told me all the things about myself, and that really confirmed. So that's what we are saying. The goodness of the Lord leads us to repentance. So we got saved. So now, understanding that you are born again, it is important that we help others who have not yet known it to also know it. We know that the God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. It is the devil that blinds people's minds. So that's why we must have mercy on them. Many, most sinners out there, they believe that God is responsible for all the calamities going on in the world today. They don't know any better. And even some believers or some Christians will say, well, maybe God is punishing me for what I did, or maybe uh, God is teaching me something. But that's far from the truth, because God is not the author of evil. Neither does he tempt anyone with evil. He does, he's not, he, Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. So why would God delight in punishing anybody? That's not his law. Goodness is one of the most outstanding attributes of God. So we have his nature in us. We have Jesus in us. So, uh, you know, we, we are here to encourage each other to constantly live our lives in line with the scriptures so that the world out there will see the goodness of the Lord through our lives. So that's why we must have to resist sin, resist sickness, resist poverty, resist whatever the enemy throws at you because the good shepherd of our souls didn't put any of those things on the table. And it is the goodness of the Lord in our, that they see in our lives that will convince them that truly this God is good. That's why the Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Like I wore this clothes, wear him. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Let's look at Colossians 3 verse 12. He said, clothe yourselves, therefore, as God's own chosen ones, his own picked representatives, who are purified and holy and well-beloved. Who are what? <laughs> purified. He said, you're purified already and holy and well-beloved by God himself. By putting on behavior marked by tender-hearted pity and mercy, kind feeling, a lowly opinion of yourselves, gentle ways, and patience, which is tireless and long-suffering. Tireless and long-suffering, long-suffering, long-suffering. And has the power to endure whatever comes with good temper. So let's choose the goodness that is already in us to showcase it out there to the world. Become known for it. For it. Like, oh, she's such a good person. Oh, he's such a good person. Let it be that you have acquired that as your reputation 
for being good and doing good and constantly put it on yourselves in display. The reason you want to put it on yourself in display on purpose is because you are Christ's representative. You are representing him. So you want the world around you to see Jesus in you. And what it calls for is living based on the real you because Christ is now in your life according to Colossians chapter 3 verse 4. So let that supernatural disposition in you be, be showcased on a daily basis. Make it a, your constant goal to showcase it. You know, you find out that, you know, it, it might be hard sometimes. It might be difficult to the flesh sometimes. But, you know, like Paul said in Philippians 3 verse 10, that he wants to identify with the sufferings of Christ. It's suffering in the flesh. It's not suffering of sickness or whatever. It's suffering in the flesh. You know, how people might make you feel, what they might say about you, but let your goal be that I want to represent my Savior, my Redeemer, properly, correctly, accurately. You know, the Bible called us, uh, you know, the fragrance of Christ in 2 Corinthians 2.14. It said that uh, 2 Corinthians 2.14 say God always makes his grace visible in Christ, who includes us as partners of his endless triumph. Through our yielded lives, through our yielded lives, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. So we are the sweet aroma of Christ. To some people, it might be the aroma of death. Maybe your life is convicting them of their sins. But some might say, oh, this is what I need. I've been yearning for this. And your life is helping them to see the reality of Christ. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5, verse 15, that he died for all. Those of us who live should live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. So I say, verse 16, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So you see your brethren, even when their acts are not together, as people that God, by his grace, is still working on. We are all being built up. We have not yet arrived. And for those who are not yet born again, you see them as sheep without shepherd. You want to introduce them to the shepherd of their souls because they may not have heard about him. We have all been called as Christ's ambassadors, as if you know, God is in us through Jesus Christ appealing to the world to come and know him. And he's not imputing their sins on them like we read in, uh, in uh, verse 18. He's not imputing their sin on them because he knows that they don't know any better. If they know better, then they will act better. So constantly ask yourself, what, how will this thing that I'm saying or this, how I am acting or how I am responding, how will it portray the kingdom that I am representing? Constantly ask yourself that question so that that will help be a reminder to you to make sure that you are a representative of Jesus Christ. We are a tree that is planted for the you know, seed for the nations. If you remember, you know, our beloved brother Lawansin, when he came over here, seed sown for the nation. The Bible said, we are good trees that God has planted. Matthew 12, 33 says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. But thank God that we, ha we are good trees because we have... Jesus Christ, we have good stuff that the Holy Spirit can draw from. We have the nature of Christ to showcase the goodness of God to the world. Through the new birth, we now have the nature of Christ in us. And that's why Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we are his workmanship. We are 
recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. We are the fragrance of Christ. We are the sweet aroma of Christ. Let us have that good conduct that will help the unbelievers so that on the day of their visitation, they will say, wow, you know, this person's life. Now I understand in 1 Peter 2.12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good words, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let that your good works remind them of the goodness of the Lord. How do we do this? Some of the ways we do this is, according to Philippians 2, 14 and 15, say, do all things without grumbling and fault-fighting and fault-finding and complaining against God and questioning and doubting among yourselves that you may show yourselves to be blameless and guiltless, innocent and uncontaminated, children of God without blemish, faultless, unrebukable, in the midst of what? A crooked and wicked generation, spiritually perverted and perverse, among whom you are seen as bright lights, stars or beacons shining out clearly in the dark world. So let our light so shine. And let everything we do be done with love. Even Jesus, when he was um, reviled, the Bible says he did not revile back. First Peter chapter 2, verse 19 says, For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Because of conscience towards God, we do it for Jesus. We do it for Jesus. We are co-laborers with him. The grace of God has been offered to us. Let us use that grace not in vain. And let our speech be seasoned with salt, according to Colossians 4, verse 6, so that it will minister grace to the hearers. Let kind words proceed out of our mouth, even when people miss it. We want our words to be kind, to express God's goodness. Don't speak sharply to people. Even when they miss it, let what comes out of your tongue represent Jesus. The world around us might be hard in their utterances, but remember, you're born again. They are not born again. They don't have the spirit of Christ. They don't know any better. But we have the mind of Christ. We have the spirit of Christ in us. Let's trust God by his spirit. He's the one keeping us. He's the one helping us. And he will help us. Always constantly build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And keep yourself in the love of Christ. Constantly make effort to fellowship with the word. Fellowship, studying, you know, reading, listening to messages. And be in the midst of believers. As many fellowships as you can attend as God allows you. Get involved in them so that you can keep yourself in the love of God because the world out there is turning darker and darker. So you need to really get into the world. Get around believers. God is the one keeping you according to Jude. He's the one that will keep you from stumbling. So embrace him. 
and follow him and listen to him and respond to him. Present your body a living sacrifice. Let it be what you do because of all the mercies of God that has been showered upon you. Amen. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Our Father and our God, we are so thankful and we are very grateful. Father, you have spoken to us expressly. You have reminded us of who we are in Christ and what you did for us in Christ Jesus. A merciful Father, you have also reminded us of the fact that we are truly your children. In your sight, we are born again. We are yours. We've been made pure, holy, and righteous. We've received eternal life. And you have also encouraged us to let that goodness in us, which is your nature, showcase through us as your own very dearly beloved children to imitate you in everything. You are a good and gracious father. And so we are good and gracious. And Father, we trust you by the power of your spirit that you will help us to constantly showcase this, no matter how the world around us is turning, that we will effectively represent Jesus everywhere we find ourselves. You're very faithful and you're very merciful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father God. We know that certainly our lives will never be the same again and we'll constantly represent you everywhere we find ourselves. Thank you, our Abba Father. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen.